Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. I'm glad that you've decided to join us. You know, over this last year, um, I've been doing these webinars on the Grace-Based Recovery book, which has nine principles in it for how to engage recovery from a grace-based perspective versus a performance-based perspective. And so what we've been doing is we've been replaying segments of those webinars on the radio program for those of you who maybe either didn't register for the webinar or don't have access to it. And in this session, we're going to be looking at the eighth principle, grace to grow up. The reality is that addiction creates a lot of immaturity in our lives, and a lot of it is born out of immaturity. We, we establish patterns in our childhood that then lead to addiction, and then we never really emotionally grow up. We never grow up from a lot of those patterns of selfishness and self-centeredness in our childhood. And so in this session, we look at how does grace apply to this maturing process, the growing up that's necessary, and that recovery can provide for us. So I hope this session blesses you. I'd love to hear feedback from you. If you've got further questions than what are addressed in the Q&A session in this webinar, you can always reach out to us at puresexradio.com or on Twitter at puresexradio. I hope this session blesses you. Enjoy. So let's unpack now in this session, this idea of grace to grow up. And the main idea in this particular uh, element of grace-based recovery is that growing up is growing in body, soul, and spirit for a greater purpose. So true recovery is about pursuing maturity in humility, wisdom, and service. And let me just kind of I want to tell on myself a little bit here. I want to tell a story just to show you just how how much addiction breeds immaturity in us. Um, when I was at really the height of my addiction, my wife and I had been married for a few years, and I was just absolutely drowning in the selfishness of my addiction. And one time I was basically getting ready to leave the house, and uh, my wife said, you know, well, don't, don't even come back tonight. I mean, I'm, the door's going to be locked. And in my immaturity and anger, I went and actually got tools and took the doorknob off the front door of our house and took it with me. Now, that, that's an incredibly immature thing to do. And it's really just horrible to tell that on myself. But that's, the, the, that's just kind of the height of how immature my thinking was. And so part of recovery is learning how to get past that level of response, get, get beyond that. That's the, that's the actions of a two-year-old emotionally. That's the way babies respond when they don't get what they want. That's not how a mature adult person is supposed to respond to life and challenges and discomfort and all of that. So this idea of grace to grow up is learning how to grow into manhood, into womanhood, how to grow into adulthood, how to grow into mature adulthood. And the key scripture passages for this particular element and principle of recovery, uh, one is 1 Corinthians 13, 11, which says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 
So that's one of the passages there, just the idea of there needs to be a distinction between how you reason and speak and even think between childhood and adulthood. And I think one of the key things we see here is it says, the Apostle Paul here says, when I became a man, I gave up. There is a willful, intentional surrender that has to happen from our childish ways. And uh, that's difficult when, when maybe all we've known is immature two-year-old responses and, and we, we just learn to throw fits. You know, Now they're just adult-sized fits when we don't get what we want. The other passage for this particular section of the book is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Now, this is a passage that can weave throughout the whole, uh, the whole book because of the grace element. It says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And see, that's part of that main idea, is that the growth is that we are moving towards a purpose. And this is a purpose that God has made for us. And we're going to see that in just a minute. So let's take a look now at just some key thoughts that come out of this uh, chapter. First is that recovery is more than not doing something. It's about growth in faith and service. So I want to read a section to you out of the book. Here's Grace-Based Recovery. I want to read to you a paragraph here from this particular chapter on Grace to Grow Up. To say that the vision for your life and future is simply to stop acting out is an incredibly weak vision. How uninspiring to not act out? What kind of vision is not doing something? And what direction would you go next if you succeeded in not acting out? What would you be striving for at that point? And that's really kind of the point here is that, you know, we, none of us are inspired by not doing. I mean, let's be honest, there's an element, especially early on in recovery, where you do have to set up some walls. You've got to set up some boundaries and say, the things I have been doing, the things that I have been pursuing are absolutely unhealthy. I do need to stop some behaviors. I do need to stop some relationships. I need to stop these things that are damaging in my life. But there's a point at which you construct all those walls and you put in all those healthy boundaries. But if you are not then cultivating what is inside those boundaries, then you're kind of, you're going to languish at some point. And at some point, you're going to get bored. At some point, you're going to be realizing, you know, it seems to me like the the way we are made as human beings is we are made to have meaning in our life. And meaning comes through pursuit of purpose. And if my pursuit is of not doing something, that's not very purposeful. And so we, we kind of lose our motivation. We lose our energy because we find that simply holding off what is bad just doesn't last long. It just, you can't do that forever. It gets tiresome. It gets boring. And so at some point, we've got to realize we've got to be moving towards something. And we've got to be moving towards growth. And that's where the maturity part comes in. Next, you need to realize that you are a masterpiece of God's grace. So live it. Let me, let me share with you another passage from the book. This, think again about that passage from Ephesians 2, where we're told that we're God's workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. So this paragraph says, you are the workmanship of God 
created for good works. You were made to fulfill a purpose that is God-sized. Recovery that focuses on not doing is counter to who you were made to be. You have been given a purpose that is so big that you could not fulfill it if it were not for God's grace. But because of his grace, you can. Beware, though, of the resistance you will face to this truth. You were made to fulfill a purpose that is God-sized. Think of that for just a second. God crafted you. You are his workmanship. And so he's saying, I'm, I'm making you into a masterpiece and into a masterpiece that can actually display his glory. That's huge. And I think that shifts, that helps to shift the focus of our thinking away from just not doing things that are negative, but then realizing we were made for something that is God-sized. We were made for something that is for his glory. We were made for something that goes beyond just ourselves. And I think, you know, for me, that was one of the, the, turning points in my own recovery. When I started having men that were speaking into my life, this vision for doing more than just abstaining from sexually addictive behaviors. In other words, they were planting seeds in me that says, Jonathan, you know, what God is doing in you is more than just for you. So he's, he's putting something in you, he's changing your life, but and it benefits you, but it's also meant to then benefit others. And what does it look like now to pour that out on others? And I started finding, to be honest with you, so much more momentum in my recovery as I got more into that mode of thinking that God has actually made me this broken, sinful, addicted man for a purpose that he actually saw before the foundation of the world that that he actually wanted to do through me, knowing all of the things that I was going to do to try to mess up the program? And the answer is absolutely yes. And that's the grace of God. That's grace-based recovery. The idea that God can take this broken mess and not only put it back together so that the person who's the mess benefits, but then also so that it can actually help others who are also a mess and need help. Another thought on this idea of grace to grow up is that you must want freedom in order to experience it. And this is, you know, <clears throat> this is sort of where the rubber meets the road. And this is where it gets really hard because a lot of people say that they want freedom without actually wanting what freedom requires, which is submission to God. See, the only place that we can have actual freedom in our lives, freedom not just from addictive behaviors, but freedom from the bondage of our soul, freedom from the power of sin over our lives, freedom from the penalty of sin in our future, to experience true freedom that only comes through God in Jesus Christ. And so to, to want freedom ultimately then means I, I want Jesus. And to want Jesus, he says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And I started realizing in my own recovery, you know what? Even in my recovery, I can still operate like that two-year-old because recovery will always push you up against things that are going to go against what you want. And what I mean by that is what, you, what your lust craves. 
So when you're, you know, when you're recognizing that you're in a moment of temptation, the desire is, I want to pursue that temptation and I want to go act out. Freedom is, I need to submit this moment to God. I need to pray and I need to flee. And that's a very different dynamic. That's, that's like childish response versus mature response. Am I going to go the way of my own heart and my own wisdom? Or am I actually going to submit and surrender to the wisdom and way of Jesus? And we don't like the word obedience in our culture. We don't like the word submission. The idea that we are not fully and completely autonomous as human beings, being able to control our own destiny. We don't like that. But here's what I've found is the greatest freedom we experience in life and the greatest maturity we experience in life is when we put on, as the Bible says, the yoke of Jesus. When Jesus invites us to come to him and find rest for our souls, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's a rest, there's a peace, there's a freedom, there's a maturity that comes when we, when we don't just say that we want to be free, but that we actually now surrender our lives to the instruction and the leading of Jesus Christ. That's when we actually begin to experience that freedom. And really, that's where maturity starts to, to grow. So next, let's take a look at just some key questions that you need to ask um, in order to grow up, in order to mature. Um, first, just asking yourself the question, why is a, you know, don't act out a weak vision for recovery? And I think it's, it's important to spend some time on these because we can come up with really quick answers, but then really we have to explore our own hearts and go, do I, do I fall into that camp, though, just because it's kind of what we're taught in many recovery programs, and it's sort of maybe the easier route? Because let's be honest, um, is it easier to pursue nothing or something? And I would say at some point, it's like easier to pursue nothing. It's very ambiguous, right? But to pursue something, I have to learn to define what that something is to pursue nothing like I just, I'm not going to do fill in the blank that sort of breeds apathy. And I think apathy becomes a way to feed immaturity. Whereas when we say, Oh, I need to pursue something then I have to know what I'm defining. You know, nature abhors a vacuum. So if you empty your house of all that's unhealthy without filling your house with what is good, you'll likely end up worse off in the future because another vice will come in and take the place. So this is what we see a lot of times with people who are struggling with, um, with addiction and then they get into recovery. And so they learn to not do whatever their key addictive behavior was. And then without actually learning how to be healthy and pursue what is good and right and mature, guess what happens? Nature pours a vacuum, right? So something else fills that space. So you have a guy that used to be looking at, you know, four hours of pornography a day, and he feels so good about himself because he's not looking at porn, but now he's playing six hours of video games every day. Is that growing up? Is that maturity? No. All that is is trading maybe what might be considered a worse vice with a not-so-bad vice. And so we have to be careful of this idea of thinking that because I'm not doing what I originally came into recovery to address, 
that I'm somehow mature simply by not doing that. No, no, maturity is much more about what are you actually pursuing. Um, the Bible actually talked about this. Jesus talked about this when he was talking about, um, you know, just the, the state of our being whenever we, we think that we're, we're cleaning, cleaning house because now we've, you know, one unclean spirit has left us and the house is now empty, but we're not doing anything to actually pursue righteousness, to actually mature in godliness. And it says at some point that unclean spirit is going to come back, see the empty house, see nothing is filling it that is going to be fighting against those forces. And it'll bring seven, seven more of its unclean friends with it. And that the state of that house, the state of that person will be worse than it started. And so we need to not just be trying to hold off what is bad, but again, we need to actually be filling our house and our lives with what is right and what is good. Next, another key question is, how does being created for good works change the focus of your recovery? I love this. When I started to realize that, it, that I wasn't just made to you know, not act out or made to not do unholy things, but that I was actually made as a masterpiece of God, made for good works that he actually intentionally prepared for me to walk in, it changed everything. It also changed how I saw my brokenness because see, there's this, there's this ancient, uh, um, I think it's a Japanese art form. It's called Kintsugi and I always mispronounce it, but basically what it is is it's taking broken pieces of pottery and rather than just sweeping and discarding and throwing away the shards of the broken pottery, the owner of that pottery would, would actually gather up all the shards, even the tiniest splinters and just every bit of brokenness from that piece of pottery. And they would meticulously begin to glue it back together, but within the adhesive, there would be gold, specks of gold all throughout. So what this means is that when the piece of pottery is put back together, it would not be hiding the points of brokenness. It would actually be accentuating and magnifying those places of brokenness with gold. And I believe that is what God does in us when he says, I've created you for good works. I want you to grow and walk in them. And it's not that our brokenness uh, diminishes our usefulness to God's kingdom work. It's actually that through our brokenness, God accentuates our usefulness to his kingdom work. Because as he puts our lives back together and accentuates all those pieces of brokenness, all those places in which we are broken with the goal of his grace, what he is doing is he is putting himself on display through our brokenness. But so many times we want to go hide ourselves in a corner. We want to go say, listen, my whole life is about just not doing something. Instead of saying, no, I'm going to bring all my brokenness out into the light where the master uh, artist the God of the universe can begin to put me back together in full view of everyone else so that then through my cracks and crevices of brokenness, the grace of God might be manifest and it might invite others to bring their shards of glass and brokenness and, and, and broken lives out into the light to also receive that same kind of healing. When we recognize we have that kind of purpose, we don't have to be ashamed of or hide our brokenness. Um, we can actually bring it forward in order to magnify the goodness and grace of God.
Another key question here is, um, what is the most pressing area in your life that needs maturing? See, don't try to tackle all the areas at once. If, if we get brutally honest with ourselves, any one of us could look in the mirror and probably come up with easily 15, 20, 30 things, no matter how small or big, that we go, I, I could use some growth in those areas. But rather than creating some massive list that just overwhelms us and probably brings up a whole bunch of our shame lies, uh, let's ask God to just show us what's the one that he wants us to work on right now. I've found over the years that, that growth is often multi-layered, meaning if we're willing to walk and go at a walking pace with God, what he will do is he will gently yet consistently just kind of unveil the next layer. He'll, he'll bring the next layer that needs to come up. Hey, let's, let's focus on this. For the next season of life, I want this to be the thing you're focusing on. And for the next season, this. And so imagine if God pulled the curtain back and showed us everything that from his perspective we need to work on. It would crush us completely into dust. And yet he's even in his grace, he's saying, hey, I'm not going to overwhelm you. I love you. But I also want to see you transformed into the image of my son. And so little by little, He's, he's opening us up to that. And this is where we have to be willing to, again, recognize that it's not just about what we say we are pursuing, but actually what we are actually doing. Are we actually obeying? So when he reveals to us, you know, you need to work on your media choices. Ooh, wait a second. But I, I, I like what I'm doing. And then we start justifying. But, but I'm not watching porn or, you know, I'm not doing anything inherently evil. And then we start kind of bargaining with God when in fact what he's trying to do is test our hearts and say, are you willing to surrender to me? Because you're not going to find the fullness of freedom and joy and love and hope unless you're fully invested in surrendering to me. So finally, we've got a group exercise in this particular, uh, in this particular lesson and it's talking about pursuing maturity in body, soul, and spirit, and purifying the motives of the heart. I think that's a key area that we need to check in on, is um, why am I doing what I'm doing? See, sometimes I've had to admit, even in my own journey, that sometimes the reason, the motive for why I might be engaging in something is because I know that it might look good to others. It might look mature others. Well, guess what? That's a very immature motive. So sometimes it's not just about the behaviors and are the behaviors quote unquote mature and, and growth oriented, but it's far more about the heart. Is, is the heart seeking to grow up? Is the heart putting away childish ways and giving those things up for the sake of, of godliness and maturing? And here's four areas that kind of cover us as human beings that you could be pursuing this kind of maturity. Physical health, sometimes it just helps to be super tangible when you're starting out trying to pursue maturity. Look at your physical health, look at your diet, look at your exercise, look at just the choices you're making about your body and ask yourself, okay, where could I improve on that? Now you don't have to get fanatical but just saying, are there some food choices that I'm making? Are there some exercise choices that I'm making? Are there some things that I could do that could just improve that? What about my sleep? 
Am I getting enough sleep? That's a huge one, by the way. I, there's so many addicts that I know do not have proper, healthy sleep patterns. And so if you can just begin to say, I want to make, I want to take one healthy step towards better physical health. That's a movement towards maturity. Emotional health. Do you know what you are feeling throughout the course of a day or a week? Are you able to label that? Are you able to, to talk about those emotions? That might be a first step for many of you, especially men out there, is what does it look like to begin to learn how to identify emotions in my being and go beyond just happy, sad, angry. Like try to go deeper than that. Like what does disappointment feel like? What's the difference between, um, you know, anger and fear? Because sometimes the way they manifest, they kind of come out all at once. So just being able to understand your emotions can be a step towards maturity. And then the next step in that is, do you have some people that you can talk to about those feelings that you're having throughout the day? And then spiritual health. What are you doing to cultivate a deeper relationship with the creator of your soul? And then finally, relational health. What does it look like in your family, in your marriage, with your friends, um, with your coworkers? What are you doing to, to, to mature in that? Uh, to not be a guy that pulls doorknobs out of doors and runs off like a little two-year-old to go have his own fit. Um, but just saying, what are some things that you can do to pursue health? Okay, I'm going to stop sharing the screen there. Uh, I would love to, uh, let's, I want, I want to open it up now for some, some questions. If anybody has some questions, okay, I see, I see some that are coming through here. Um, you can just use the Q&A feature. Um, to be able to ask any questions that you have or make a, a comment. Um, I've got one here that I think is, is a really good one. How do we talk about immaturity of character without heaping shame on ourselves and the group? That's a good question. So if we're talking about, I mean, here we're trying to talk about growing up, which means we're going to have to talk about immaturity. And, and the reality is when we get into recovery, we get exposed for a lot of our immaturity, right? I mean, you don't get bound up in an addiction without at some point a perpetuation of irrational, childish thinking. Uh, and let's just, let me just try to set this straight. Where most addictions start, where the seeds for most addictions start is, is way back in childhood. So we have to recognize that the, the mechanisms that have been put in place, the, the rationale, and the reasoning that has been put in place for why we make so many of those decisions was originally through the grid of our child mind. So I'm not here to shame your seven-year-old self for the, the rationale, the reasoning that he or she used to then go cope in the way that you coped when you were seven. But now if you're 40 or 50, that same rationale and reasoning is not healthy. It, it's not working. And so that's what I'm talking about when we have to start putting those things away. And that gets very difficult because you go, well, in many ways, I sort of got stunted at seven or I got stunted at 12. And by the way, that's, that's what we found in our ministry. So many times when, we, when we're dealing with people that got into a porn or a sex addiction, um, many times, whatever age they were when they first started getting entangled in the traumas of those seeds of addiction is usually where their emotional self was stunted. And that often means a lot of times just the reasoning capabilities got locked in at that stage too. So now you're 30, 40, 50 years old 
and you've never had you've never known how to grow out of and grow up from that way of thinking and so when you get into recovery it gets exposed very quickly that oh my goodness i'm i'm an emotionally stunted person i don't know how to reason like an adult i don't really know how to think like an adult so i just want to say the way that i think you can deal with the immaturity of character and those kind of things within a group without heaping shame is first of all for all of us to raise our hands and say me too me too uh, all you don't get into a recovery circle without having made a lot of really poor choices, immature, irrational choices. And so we need to, I think it's helpful, especially if you're a leader of a group, to be willing to step forward and be the first one to share your stories of immaturity. And then also with that, stories of how God has been maturing you in those areas. So kind of like what I did here, hey, leading off with a doorknob story, right? Well, that does not reflect well on me at all. But I guarantee you, when I've shared that in groups and, and getting in groups of men where we can be really honest and vulnerable, you can just see guys' shoulders drop like, okay, I'm not the only one who's made a really bonehead decision as part of my anger and my two-year-old, you know, fit-throwing response. And what it does, it kind of breaks the ice so that there's not shame about that. They're saying we've all made poor decisions and we've all been immature, but in this group, we want to bring that out so we can unpack it in order that the God of grace can begin to put our broken shards together and the grace of his gold can start to put us back together in a way that is useful and that is mature. So I'd say lead out with your story if you're willing to do that and then be as gentle as possible, but also at the same time, try to coach people forward, helping them think about how they can, they can work through those issues. Um, so one question here, great. Any specific exercises to strengthen emotional health? Um, well, not to, to give a shameless plug here, but we've been doing an emotional, emotional training for men webinar series through our radio program. Um, and so if you want some information about that series, uh, you can go to puresexradio.com and then there is the webinars section there. And we've, we've been doing a series there. Um, and there's some some there's already four or five videos in that series and then we've got three or four more that we're going to be doing that's one thing is just hey what does that look like there um another thing is you know just depending on where you are in your life uh this will sound really weird and i don't want it to sound childish because it's not but i think for those of us who really have struggled to identify and verbalize what are the emotions we are experiencing I highly recommend that you just go to Google, and I'm not kidding here, go to Google and type in emotion words or feeling words into the search engine, and you'll get all kinds of um, charts, diagrams, and things like that. Uh, there's one that's called the emotion wheel. That's a really helpful one. And I think those are good places to begin to study yourself. A lot of them have even facial expressions to help you understand, along with the words of the emotion. To be able to say, how do, I, how do I identify these? And I think it's good to spend some time just starting to familiarize yourself when you have a feeling is to be able to pull that thing out and go, what am I actually feeling here? And try to figure out all the various nuance to that emotion. I think then it's also very important if you can find um, some friends or maybe if your spouse is willing to do this um, or some, some you know, people at your church 
small groups, I think maybe one or two people that you could do this with, that then you could have conversations about that with. Of saying, you know what, I'm, I'm really trying to go on a journey of becoming more emotionally healthy and really more emotionally aware. And so invite somebody else to do that exercise with you. Now, here's what I've found in, in, in being married is my wife already has a little bit more language around emotional uh, things um, than I do. And some of that is just the difference between men and women and how women tend to relate to one another versus how men relate to one another. So she's a huge asset in helping me to understand my own emotional self if I'm willing to utilize her. See, that's the thing. We have to have courage in this. And, and, and I want to say a little bit about that for just a second, too. I know it is hard to press in to what's necessary to, for lack of a better way to put it, grow up for us to mature. Um, it, can, it can feel embarrassing. Like, that I don't know, I don't know my emotions beyond happy, angry, and sad, and maybe afraid, but I never talk about that one. I understand the the anxiety around that. But let me tell you something. I have the utmost respect for people who are willing to take that step of courage, that step of courage that says, I'm on a mission of growth and it's gonna be messy. And I know it's going to be difficult. And I know that I won't always make the right choice. I won't always, you know, I may stumble along the way, but I want to be set on having a mission of maturity, a mission of growth. And I tell you what, I have so much respect for people that are willing to do that uh, because we need more people in the world that are willing to do that. So I say, get your emotion words, start to try to identify you know, those in yourself and then have some sounding boards in your life that you can talk to about that. I have another question here. Um, oh, this is good. This is, a, this is a personal question. Jonathan, what are your areas of growth that you are working on that still need maturing? Oh my goodness, how much time do you guys have? Uh, I would say that the areas that I continually need maturing in, uh, the, the two biggest are the emotional intimacy. Um, how do I, and Emotional intimacy meaning like how do I become really vulnerable and emotionally aware and connected with not only my spouse, but my children, my closest friends, um, and also then being able to have the discretion to know where are the appropriate lines for what I share, let's say through a forum like this versus what I'm sharing with my children, what I'm sharing with friends, but just the emotional intimacy I can continually need work on that. And then also um, just um, relational intimacy. Uh, and I put those in a little bit of different categories because one is more about me, like emotional intimacy in terms of me being vulnerable and open and, and really trying to mature in that. The other is relational intimacy. How am I seeking to now serve and listen and be a sounding board and a, and a help to those in my life. And so there's, there's always room for growth. That's the great thing about this, by the way, when you catch this vision that the, the mission of recovery is actually growth to grow in to what God has made us for. Um, you find that there's always a new layer that can be worked on. You're never going to reach a point in this life where you go, wow, I'm fully mature. I've got it all figured out. There's always going to be something else because our circumstance will change. We're not at the same place. We are in life where we were before. Um, relationship change, all of that, or all of those are opportunities for us to continue to grow and to mature. These are great questions. I've got time for maybe one or two more. Um, 
Okay. Here's another one. What's the best way to encourage group members to embrace this lifelong journey of growth? Um, and because it says here, most people get into recovery because they want to see the elimination of addictive behaviors, not because they want a complete paradigm shift for their whole lives. So how do you, how do you help encourage group members kind of get grasp this lifelong, it seems daunting, right? You get a guy, you know, first day in group and you go, all right, you're in this for the rest of your life. I mean, that's overwhelming, right? We need to lead people into that. I think the best way that we can do that is we need to model it ourselves. Are, are we modeling a day by day till the day I die mentality that I'm going to be on a journey of growth? Now, I want you to understand that doesn't mean that you're in all of the the initial throes of recovery work all the time. There is a point at which I think you build those walls. You understand your boundaries. You know your limitations. You you learn yourself so that you know where you don't go in order to not, you know, tempt fate, so to speak, or just invite temptation in your life. I'm not talking about you having to be in that stage perpetually for the rest of your life. But this idea of are you constantly pursuing, growing, maturing, and learning to serve others and and allowing God to work through you, that's something that is part of a lifelong journey. And I think the idea is when you can help somebody capture this vision that is bigger than just not doing something, I actually think that's when you see the momentum of their whole recovery fast forward. I know that's what happened in my life. When I finally realized, okay, this journey is also about me getting outside of myself. And what does it mean now to take the things that I'm learning and invest those in other people? All of a sudden, man, the wheels started turning even faster in the sense of, I feel a sense of purpose and meaning and I don't feel the same degree of temptation because my eyes aren't on me all the time. Now I'm actually helping other people. And so I think the more we can live that vision and then try to instill that vision in others, then I think they will embrace it and realize, yes, it is so much better to be living for something rather than just to be living against what's not good. Well, listeners, I hope that that session on grace-based recovery, uh, the, the grace to grow up. I hope that that really encouraged you. Maybe you, do you feel more grown up now that you've listened to it? Um, I hope that it helped just spur you on to take some, some intentional next steps in your own pursuit of greater sobriety and integrity to think about the areas maybe that still need some maturing in your life. I know that even for myself, that session is a huge challenge to me because there's never a point in our lives where we can't grow, where we can't uh, mature in our knowledge, in our practice, in our love. And so I just, uh, I pray that that was a, an encouraging session for you. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, we, we can't, you know, we're better together. We can't do this process of recovery and growth alone. So please reach out to us on our website at puresexradio.com or uh, follow us on Twitter at puresexradio and join the conversation there. Uh, until next time, I hope you have a great week, and we'll see you back here again on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.